you know, people think it's just winning the tournament or, or playing well down here. It's like, you know, you, you spend, like, I spent two months only thinking about this event. And, and it would always hit me, you know, and it hit me at, it always hit me at, like, championship point, you know? It's like <laughs> you go through your ritual and all of a sudden it occurs to you, like, how many times have I done this just these two weeks just to get to this moment? Mm. Hi, everyone. John Huvenas with a bonus episode of The AO Show. For the first nine years of his career, Andre Agassi avoided making the trip down under for the first slam of the year. So it was with some trepidation that the two-time major champion arrived in Australia in January 1995, eager to add a third to his collection. Much to his surprise, not only was he embraced by the public, but he was spurred on all the way to the title. Last month, the 53-year-old returned to Melbourne Park, where his love affair with the AO began almost three decades ago. Enjoy my full interview with Andre Agassi. Andre, welcome to the AO Show and welcome back to the Australian Open. Thank you. It's uh, nice to be back. I was just informed that you had a nice little interaction with Carlos Alcaraz on the way through. Tell us about Yeah, it was the first time I had the chance to meet him, which I was thrilled about you know i've only sort of been able to appreciate him as a as a fan you know watching him play and yeah it's it's just so easy to like you know from a even from a distance and then meeting him his spirit is so warm and just i mean his smile is it's like it lights you up you know so just watching him sort of capture the imagination of the of the public, you know, I'm sort of, I'm guilty as charged, like I'm a fan. <laughs> it's amazing how certain players can just capture you in, a, in an instant. It might be a, a point, it might be a, something they said in a press conference, but what are the qualities of someone like Alcaraz that uh, captures your attention? It's just so authentic, right? So, so real. I mean, um, so sort of beyond his years. I mean, you, you, should, you shouldn't be that... Uh, comfortable in your own skin at 20 years old <laughs> it's like i know i wasn't but uh but yeah watching him under with the uh, i mean doesn't matter if he's winning or losing you can't tell it's just you just look at him and you're just like he's just all about he's just all about you know being the doing the best he can out there and such a competitor and and such an incredible athlete you know but we marvel me and my me and steph we we love watching him play it's like we just go i mean look at this guy go it's like it's just you want to watch him. I think one of his mantras is play with aggression and play with joy. Take us back to when you were a similar age. What what were the defining qualities that you played with? Do you think as a as a twenty year old? Uh, I mean, listen. I I think I came onto the tour and probably was one of the first ones that was able to bring, let's just say, a level of offense off both wings. You know, whether the ball was up or down and. You know that kind of give you a little advantage on the on on the field. So aggression, I totally understood. It was me learning to control that aggression that became the kind of the 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 path towards maximizing you know uh, any potential you know I had. Um, um, but I was a I was a victim of you know of how I felt. You know I, my emotions sometimes got the better of me on a tennis court, whether it was a good day or whether it wasn't a good day, and. I didn't have that discipline of sort of leaving the emotion outside. I, I, I kind of allowed it to fuel me and then sometimes I allowed it to bring me down. So when I see somebody like him who only seems to have such positive energy mm. if emotions are involved, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a credit to his upbringing. You know, it's a credit to his family, his, to his parents, to his 
team, to his coach, and to mostly to him, right, for how he processes and how he aspires. And, um, yeah, I wish, I wish everybody uh, was as healthy as he appears to be when it comes to, you know, the mental health side of things. Yeah, it's a great observation. Of course, it was a different time when you were playing, mm. and you've been in and around professional tennis for some 40 years, and it's been almost 20 years since your retirement. You spoke about that learning to control that aggression. What was it like for you as a youngster coming up? What was the environment in tennis? What was your support team like? Oh wow, that's a that's a that's a broad big question. For me, for me, it was my bro- started with my brother really because I was turned pro at 16 years old, you know, and I was sort of um, had a real disconnect with the game. I mean, it's no surprise. Uh, to anybody because uh, I the biggest controversy in my book came on page one where I talked about hating tennis um, you know so it's not a love hate it's kind of was a hate love it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with myself in many ways understand myself what have you and there I was on a world stage acting out this rebellion this exploration of you know who I was trying to solve for those contradictions and and what have you but um, but it, uh, being on the tennis court was sometimes it was um, an escape and other times it was full of landmines, you know, so mm-hmm. I never quite knew at that age. And so my team was really important to me, but not so much from a tennis, you know, tennis side, just, just, just from a humanity side. I wanted to know there were things I could count on. And, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't want tennis to be as important as it seemed to everybody. And sometimes as important as I treated it, you know, it's just, I put so much pressure on myself that, being able to escape that with my team meant a lot. So my brother early on when I turned pro, um, you know, was, was a big deal. And then, and then, then came my trainer a few years later that basically was my surrogate father. So he helped me. He was the first one to really teach me that, that I was worth caring about, you know, which is never the way I really felt. He made my body strong, but he made my mind and my heart strong. And I always felt understood, but it was family. It was just like, again some of the same themes and and really the tennis didn't hit a new level till till my coach brad gilbert who was able to simplify sort of all the tools that i had and give me a clear path of 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 you know of 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 clarity when i was out there of conviction of this is who you are in a tennis court this is this is what you go to this is what you need to do i mean then all of a sudden the game got simpler for me and I started to be able to get proactive with the things I was doing as opposed to more reactive. And so he kind of taught me a lot about the strategy of all of it. And so I, I grew from, you know, mid twenties on 24, you know, went through a huge down period, but eventually came out of it again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't always have the luxury of experience when you're that young, you know, so turn pro at 16 and quick learning curve or oh, absolutely. painful one though. And you were very candid about all of this in your book. Is there something that the world still doesn't quite understand about Andre Agassi as a person? Um, you know, I, I don't know how much anybody can understand of anybody from a distance, right? I mean, um, you know, what I what I put myself through on a tennis court is is pretty reflective of what I put myself through in so many other parts of my life. You know, it's it's the way I process. It's it's you know, I'm a, I'm a searcher at heart and. Uh, not scared to ask tough questions, especially if those tough questions are directed at me, you know, mm. um, and, and I need inspiration and sometimes I find it and sometimes it finds me, you know, and, um, I think the mind and the heart are something that I wish were 
we're more connected more easily, you know, and I spent way too long uh, with the disconnect. I would feel something and, and not understand it and, and get frustrated, um, uh, get frustrated, you know, mentally with why I felt so strong about certain things. And other times, you know, I would tell myself what I needed to do, but I didn't really feel inspired yeah. by it, you know, so... The greatest distance on earth is a distance between a person's mind and heart, and making that connection was a process for me. Yeah, it's a it's a lesson that I think many people learn, but at different stages in their life. What inspires you now? Uh, I mean, I've listen. A lot's happened since I've you know retired, starting with my memoir and building out my foundation. Uh, it's a, a sizable charitable foundation now, and uh, figuring out some scalable ways to solve some societal you know, daunting societal issues and, you know, I've, I've scaled my mission and education across the country, back home in the United States, um, giving children, giving children choice, right? Cause I never had it. Um, and the biggest crime is children that don't have choice because they're just sort of bound to the downward spiral that, mm. that the generations before them have not graduating high school and not going to college you know, gangs, you know, growing up in these. So I've built about 130 schools across the country and some real economic challenge areas. And anyhow, I've been motivated by, by, um, giving to others what, um, what they deserve, you know, they deserve a chance. Um, so that's been a blast for me. We're at a different season in life now. You know, our kids are older. Uh, they're always, uh, there's always needs and yeah. you never stop worrying, but they're 22 and 20 now. So uh, reconnecting with the game has felt has felt really really nice to come back down here and uh, yeah I'm just I'm always I'm always open to to where I'm at and um, and right now it's like I'm thrilled that it's here. I know before in the cinema sessions you were talking about what it's like to return to Australia and you mentioned it was still all the buzz and excitement but without the stress. Mm. Just unpack that a little bit, what it's like to, to fly into Melbourne, a place where you secured four of your eight Grand Slam titles over your fantastic career, and it must be said only nine appearances in yeah. Melbourne yeah. across the time. Yeah, I skipped out on nine of, of these opportunities, and shame on me. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I lost out more than anybody in not being here the first first decade of my career um but coming back just feels amazing i mean i spent so much you know people think it's just winning the tournament or or playing well down here it's like you know you you spend like i spent two months only thinking about this event you know training for it preparing for it you know nothing in the fall nothing in the fall on the on the tour ever um came at the priority of it was always about leading up to this so okay. sometimes i would play in the fall because I knew I needed to for this. Other times I wouldn't at all because I needed to train differently for this. So, you know, you spend, you know, two months of your life only thinking about this and then you're here for a month, you know. So you're spending three months out of out of basically 10 on the road, you know, kind of only thinking about preparing for this. So it, and, and it would always hit me, you know, and it hit me at, it always hit me at like, championship point you know it's like I, i'm not kidding <laughs> what a time I, well it, yeah i mean and i don't i didn't have a championship point that things weren't in hand right so the ones i happened here so i'd go back and you wipe the towel off you know wipe the sweat off your hat and you get three balls you give one back to the ball kid you go through your ritual and all of a sudden it occurs to you like 
how many times have I done this just these two weeks just to get to this moment? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's just so much that goes into it and, 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 this, and the connection with the fans and the connection with those that helped you get to that point. I mean, it all comes rushing back and life is about people and being back here to, to see everybody is, is a big part of it. You strike me as a real deep thinker, a real analyst of the, the human mind and the psyche and things of that nature. What do you think's the, the greatest lesson that tennis taught you that you wish other players would learn at a younger age? Um, I think tennis eventually teaches you if you're open to learning on, on how, to, how to be incredibly present. You know, I mean, people talk about everybody's... Um, superstitions so to speak yeah and and they're not i don't think in most cases some people might be superstitious as far as players go but in most cases i think it's i think they're rituals that remind you how important it is to be locked into this moment right now okay. you know and and i think it's the i think it's i think it's one of the last things you get great at is how to forget what happened the point before mm. and how to not worry about problems that haven't even happened yet how to how to know that this moment right now is the best thing you can do to getting yourself closer to any finish line, right? So uh, living in the in the in the present is is huge, and that's a that doesn't that doesn't start and end with tennis. That's that's life. Yeah, true. Respectful of your time, so I'm not going to keep you too much longer. And we have been so grateful to to get some of your thoughts on the AO show. Looking at the current crop of players, both men's and women's, which players do you see some of yourself in? Oh, I, I don't. It's from a, a game perspective. Game perspective, a, mind perspective, heart perspective. Uh, I mean, it's 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 hard to it's hard to say. I mean, the game has changed um, significantly, you know, since since I played. And um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm. I, listen, I always have a soft spot for just a great ball striker. You know, it's just there's something about it that just makes me go. Oh, I mean, it was the only piece I had on the tennis court is when I hit a ball dead perfect. <laughs> I mean, literally, and so you know, I watch somebody like like Sinner hit the ball, yeah, and I just go, "That's got to feel good," you know. The sound got, takes you back. Yeah, the sound, and and uh, yeah, so that, um, you know, I, um, but I also like the the IQ of it all, you know, watching, you know, Mevative kind of use what he does and the way that he. The way that he does it, you just, you just, you can, you can see that he is problem solving, you know, constantly, yeah, absolutely. you know, and, and so I also, I also, I also love that, you know, and, and you see somebody like Demonauer who's just, you just go, wow, I mean, look what he's done with what he has and he has a lot, don't get me wrong, but, but it just shows you what the human spirit's capable of. Mm. That guy fights and fights and the, the, the way he moves and the way he can't hit somebody off a court, but he can use his speed to open it and 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 impose like a great deal of of you know of harm on somebody and it's just and seeing him in the top 10 and it's just it just you know you just there's so much nuance to the game that i i appreciate everybody's story in it you know alcaraz i mean come on it's like how much how much fun is that watching (laughs) you know watching watching him play but does it remind me of me i can't say it really does you know i mean um you know, I, I had my own tortures, and you don't know what's going on inside everybody else's head, you know, but I respect those that know how to how to keep it in uh, balance. Yeah, and I think the in, the mystique and intrigue is part of the, 
beauty of tennis as well, mm. kind of working out what is going on inside someone's mind that you can't see from a distance. Yeah, well, that's why we love sport, right? Yeah. One of the reasons. Finally, I just wanted to ask you your favorite memory of being here at Melbourne Park over your playing career or since. What's been the one thing that sort of is indelibly marked in the brain of Andre Agassi? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, forgive me if I don't remember if I'd mentioned this briefly in the front end of this interview, but it was not playing here for 10 years wondering how I would be received or not received and then coming down here and being embraced, you know, that, that, that will forever, I will forever be grateful for that because um, I don't think I spent one year here not feeling like I was half Australian, you mm. know, and I even mentioned that at one, at one stage. Um, always loved it. I always loved the, the, you know, the, how educated the fan was. They, they knew when one point meant more than another in, in many respects. And, um, and it always seemed to bring out the best in me, which... Well, you won it the first year. Yeah, that 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 doesn't that doesn't hurt, does it? But you know, I still question: Do you like places that you win at, or do you win at places you like? And um, and in both cases, it's like it's an easy answer here. It's like I love it here, and I won here. I won here. I love it here. It's like it's there. It's just yes. It's just <laughs> yes. <laughs> Andre Agassi, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful time here at the Australian Open, and we'll catch up around the traps. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Thank you.